Hello, folks. We're down the line here from Cape Cod tonight with political analyst, author and historian Dr. James D. Boys. I'm Michael L. Roberts, and we're ditching the bells and whistles for the American Chronicle tonight to launch straight into the show, as it were, to bring you his analysis. So, James, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I would very much like to ask you, as you can see here, the, uh, the box has gone blue for Biden. Is that premature or do you feel that Trump's and Giuliani's threats and otherwise of uh, Supreme Court action in the coming weeks are uh, uh, futile at best? No, I don't think that's futile at all or premature at all. Um, I think that basically what you've seen over the last couple of days is a settling of, uh, of, of ballots across the country. Um, there is a reason that we've held off from doing this follow-up from the election to make sure that the, the, the ground had settled a little bit. Um, it certainly was going, it would have been premature to have discussed this uh, in terms of a result uh, only uh, 46, uh, 36 hours ago. Uh, but now, quite frankly, the major networks have called this. And again, if you think about something we were saying on, on election night, one of the oddities about American politics is the extent to which you know, these, are, these elections are called by the, the major networks. You know, 20 mm. odd years ago, uh, it was Fox that basically helped uh, George W. Bush become president by calling the election in Florida for him, um, uh, you know, arguably a little bit early. Uh, and bizarrely enough, now we've had Fox calling uh, Arizona again very early in the night for, in this case, uh, Joe Biden, which caused so much consternation in the Trump White House. Uh, but now all the major networks have called uh, the election for uh, now President-elect uh, Biden. Uh, we've seen Joe Biden address the nation as President-elect. And he's now also been congratulated uh, by former President George W. Bush, the only living former Republican president. So, you know, this really is a question of, uh, of, not, uh, of when, not if, Trump is forced to concede this election one way or the other, uh, and, uh, and what he does uh, with regard to that and his actions in the coming days and weeks will form a, a very important part of his legacy. Mm. We finished uh, our live US election coverage at uh, uh, 6 a.m. UK time. Uh, how would you assess the events that have unfolded since that point in terms of uh, Trump's response or lack thereof and uh, Biden's decorum throughout? Uh, it's quite remarkable. I mean, it's been a very long four days. It's been a very long four years in many ways. Um, you know, we've almost become used to the kind of tantrums and uh, uh, tempestuous tweets of, uh, of President Trump. The idea that they may now be a thing of the past seems, seems quite extraordinary. Uh, and indeed, uh, when Joe Biden has addressed the nation uh, in very balanced tones, and he took to the airwaves last night here in the United States to speak for the first time as president-elect, it almost seemed uh, quite uh, jarring to hear an American politician, an American president-elect speak um, in such a collective, calm manner, uh, seeking to unite the country rather than divide the country. Uh, and I think you've seen that in an explosion of joy across so many American cities. Uh, yesterday evening, uh, the, the, the networks were cutting from city to city, showing this, this spontaneous outpouring of joy. And uh, the only thing that it, it reminded me of is, you know, the end sequence in the special edition of Return of a Jedi, when, you know, it flashes from planet to planet to planet, to demonstrate the sort of galactic joy, the, uh, the overthrow of the emperor, the destruction of the second Death Star, and, and the end of the empire. Uh, I, I know that sounds a little bit melodramatic, but <laughs> frankly, that was 
you know, the, the, the imagery was, was so similar. I think it's an appropriate uh, one to, 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 to reflect upon, quite frankly. You know, the, the way in which people seem to be overjoyed uh, that Donald Trump is no longer going to be president, at least on the, the political left, I realize uh, that there are almost as many people, frankly, who are uh, depressed as hell that, that uh, uh, President Trump has lost. He did garner over well, some 70 million votes, which is an astonishing amount, uh, quite frankly. Uh, and we've, we've seen, obviously, Joe Biden uh, accrue even more uh, mm -hmm. to gain the most votes of any president in U.S. history. So, you know, you, any idea, any hopes that this election would somehow end the division in America, uh, I think we can dismiss. Uh, this is a heavily polarized nation. Uh, we, we've seen it over the last four years. We've seen it over the course of the election. And, and we're certainly seeing it in the aftermath of the election. And, and I dare say, unfortunately, we will continue to see it, not only through the interregnum leaving, leading up to the inauguration, uh, but in, the, in the, the, the weeks, months, and arguably years of Joe Biden's presidency, almost irrespective of whatever he tries to do to reach out to Republican leaders on the Hill. Mm. You bring up Return of the Jedi there, and of course we, we know in uh, recent years that uh, that's followed by uh, from the Empire to the, the First Order. There's always another mountain to climb, uh, another challenge. Uh, as such, to what extent is uh, Joe Biden here facing uh, an something of an impossible task in terms of uniting the United States of America. You are uh, on record as purposefully repeating the notion that Obama's speech, there are no blue states, red states, there are just the United States, uh, uh, lacks detail, as it were. What is Joe Biden facing as, as, he, uh, as he takes on this effort to reunite the United States? Well, I thought it was notable that in his address to the nation last night, uh, the president-elect uh, made direct reference to uh, that concept, saying that he didn't, he wouldn't see red states or blue states, only the United States. And again, it's a great line. Um, the challenge is that there very clearly are red states and blue states, and within states, there are very clear blue areas and very clear red areas. You know, this nation has long been divided, arguably, between North and South, rich and poor, uh, red states, blue states, urban areas, um, urban areas. So, you know, what Biden's trying to do, arguably, is something which has not arguably been achieved in American history. Um, the challenges he faces also, it must be said, don't just come from Republicans, but from Democrats. We're already hearing members um, from what's often referred to as the, uh, uh, the left of the Democratic Party, personified by AOC, uh, already lamenting uh, Joe Biden's centrist credentials, uh, and suggesting that you know he's going to have to govern from the left if he's going to get any hope of support from from the progressives in the party. You know this is you know a disaster, quite frankly, uh, for the Democratic Party and for Joe Biden's presidency if he's if he's held hostage by the what many people would see as the progressive extreme left. That's no better than you know arguably a Republican president being held hostage by the Tea Party on the on the right of that party. So. You know, Joe Biden's going to have to try to govern from the center because that is how American politics generally works, uh, if anything's to be achieved. And um, what that could lead to ultimately is if he's able to garner, and this is a big if, if he's able to garner support from independent and moderate Republicans, it's possible that he might be able to, to govern without um, support of a, a handful of very vocal uh, progressives on the far left, 
and certainly without any support from uh, the sort of Tea Party uh, guys on the, the far right. Uh, unfortunately, what that means, I think, is, is a continuation of, uh, of government by executive order. Uh, we saw that under Obama. We saw that certainly under Donald Trump. And indeed, Joe Biden has already said that one of his first acts as president will be to sign a series of executive orders to overturn uh, executive orders and decisions by Donald Trump, uh, which will, amongst other things, uh, basically ensure the United States uh, re-engages with the Paris Climate Agreement, for example, uh, and also a host of other issues, uh, making sure that the dreamers, those American-born uh, children of, uh, of immigrants who've come here without paperwork, uh, are permitted to stay in the United States, uh, suggestion that he's going to basically stop building uh, the border wall, uh, and, uh, and a host of other issues. Basically, I think he's going to try to do uh, for Trump what Trump tried to do for Obama, which is to sort of airbrush um, him from history just as quickly as possible. Um, but uh, any attempts to try and get legislation through, of course, will be uh, stymied by opposition, not only from Republicans, but as I mentioned, also from uh, his own Democratic Party. Mm. So much to drill down into in that answer there. I'd like to start with the uh, the notion of the the sheer scale of uh, numbers of votes cast for each candidate in this situation. Is that as a result of uh, the extreme reaction to both candidates as a result of social media, or to what extent is it coronavirus and the mail-in ballots, meaning that more people uh, were willing to mail in a vote than they were willing to stand in line? So one of the things that we've talked about over the past several weeks and months is, is the ease or lack thereof of voting in the United States. Um, it's not a nation that necessarily makes it particularly easy to vote. Um, there are, of course, very simple ways to make sure that people do participate. And we've seen those put in place over the course of the last several weeks leading up to this election. Uh, one of them is to make sure that everybody gets a ballot. Uh, and we've seen in some states uh, ballots being sent out to individuals, to, to the electorate, who haven't actually requested them. Uh, almost like, look, here we are, we're making this very easy for you, we're sending you a ballot, all you've got to do is basically fill it in and send it back to us. And, you know, this, from a democratic point of view, seems to have worked very, very well. The Republicans, I'm sure, will say it's worked terribly, uh, and that it's opened up the United States for electoral fraud. Well, there's no evidence of electoral fraud at this point, and indeed, one of the reasons uh, that some of the voting has taken so long uh, is because uh, the individual states are simply not used to handling this many uh, electoral result returns, um, which of course is in, in many cases involved having to go through million millions of envelopes, opening them up, folding the papers out, put it, and putting them into different piles. When you consider that there's some, uh, where are we? Some 70 million people voted for Donald Trump, 75 million people voted for, for Biden. You know, you can extrapolate from that a good portion of those were, were mail-ins. Just the physicality of doing this is obviously going to take some time. Mm -hmm. But what it has done is, is it's driven up participation to an extraordinary amount. Uh, we're seeing record turnouts, not only nationally, but at a state level. And, you know, participation in, in a democracy is a good thing, quite frankly. Um, but uh, one of the challenges has always been, how do, you, how do you do that? Well, maybe we found a way. Um, the coronavirus certainly was the impetus for this. And it will be interesting to see whether with a Democratic administration uh, and what looks like it's going to be a Democratic-controlled House, whether 
there is a move now moving forward into uh, the midterm elections in two years and then the next presidential election in four years, whether there is a, a determination uh, to try to uh, encourage greater uses of, uh, of the mail-in process mm. and, and perhaps, you know, uh, voting on the internet. You know, we are in the year 2020 uh, and the idea of having to wait in hours, wait for hours in line to put a tick in a box uh, does seem a little antiquated. Uh, here in you know one of the most technically advanced nations uh, in the in the world, quite frankly. So uh, this has been driven by the coronavirus. It's certainly been driven to an extent by uh, very hard feelings with regard to this administration. But it's not. It, it's too easy to portray this as a just a, a huge vote against Donald Trump because, uh, as any Republican would point out, you know Donald Trump received 70 million votes, and in any other presidential election, pretty much that would have been sufficient to win uh, very handsomely. So mm. Donald Trump and the Republican Party remain extraordinarily popular in vast swathes of the country. Uh, it just happens that Joe Biden uh, is even more popular uh, in those areas where he was able to turn out the Democratic Party vote. Mm. Digging into that uh, popularity and the notion of the moderate Republican moving forward and their support for Joe Biden or otherwise, how do you think this is going to sort of level out in terms of those moderate Republicans who are, are who come to be seen as having enabled the uh, uh, the the worst angels of Donald Trump, as it were, and uh, and those moderate Republicans who you feel have held their ground and will be respected and considered uh, allies of Biden moving forward. I think there's going to be a, a series of distinct groups within the Republican Party. There are there are going to be those um, who will say all along, "Well, we were never Trumpers." Uh, and we were very adamant about it. And you'll have a very small number of those people uh, who will be able to do so with some degree of credibility. Um, you know, someone like uh, Mitt Romney, for example, um, very much a moderate, is still going to be in the Senate. Um, it will be interesting to see whether uh, Joe Biden reaches out to him, for example. Uh, he does need to pick a cabinet. Is it possible that uh, he will choose uh, someone like Mitt Romney as Secretary of State? Uh, who knows? It would be a great way of trying to draw Republican support to his administration. Of course, the challenge with that is that anybody that Joe Biden does select and tries to work with um, will simply be accused of being what's known as a rhino, which is Republican in name only uh, by those to the, the right of the Republican Party, suggesting, oh, well, they were never truly a Republican anyway. Well, you know, Mitt Romney was a Republican Party nominee for president in 2012. So, um, you, you're going to see on the on the on the, the right of the party, however, a, this much more sort of visceral um, reaction to what's happened uh, on Tuesday night and, and in the days following, which is to stand by the president. The challenge is that the president isn't going to make life easy for Joe Biden or for his efforts to to bring uh, unity to this country. I, I, I'd be staggered, frankly, if uh, if we hear a standard concession speech from the president. It would be lovely to think that he might suddenly um, do so, but there's nothing in, in President Trump's past that makes one think that he's going to stand before the podium and say, look, you know, we fought a, a strong fight. We lost fair and square. I, uh, I throw my support behind Joe Biden as president, and I urge my my supporters to do likewise. Uh, the risk, I think, is that what happens at best is that uh, Donald Trump gives a begrudging address to the nation in which he uh, sort of says, well, look, you know, I don't accept the, uh, the, the result. I don't accept the ballot. 
but we've got nothing we can do about it. You know, we, the, the courts are loaded against us. The media is loaded against us. Uh, we've been robbed. Uh, I will have to depart the office, but I will never stop fighting. Uh, and he'll effectively become almost like a, a UK style opposition leader uh, out there in the wilderness screaming at the moon, uh, but taking uh, millions of voters with him uh, who believe every word he says. And that will be amplified by his children, by, by Don and Eric. Uh, it will be uh, amplified by people like Rudy Giuliani. Uh, you know, these sort of people who've got nowhere else to go, quite frankly. They've, they've pinned their, their entire futures to Donald Trump's uh, political uh, campaign. And if that goes down, then they go down. So um, you know, the, the challenge you have, I think, is that the, the divisions in this country, uh, which were evident before the election, uh, and it, it's difficult to see how they get healed uh, when you're going to have a former president out there uh, not only decrying everything that Joe Biden does, uh, but continuing, no doubt, to under, attempt to undermine his legitimacy, just as he did, it must be said, uh, when Barack Obama was president, because this, of course, is the individual who was perhaps most responsible for perpetuating the whole birther movement, mm. uh, which in, in part gave rise to Donald Trump's political uh, life in the first place. Mm. To what extent was Donald Trump a Republican in name only? And uh, besides the uh, a sense of eventual begrudging concession and uh, uh, howling at the moon, as it were, what might be next for him as uh, a public figure? Well, this is one of the great... Um, Ironies is the right word, but certainly uh, oddities of American political life at the moment. The way in which Donald Trump has so successfully taken over the Republican Party and, and made it in his image. You know, this was the party uh, that was very much uh, in support of the United States military, uh, very supportive of, uh, of the United States military uh, and its role. And of course, you know, was very hate critical, for example, of, of Bill Clinton some 30 years ago when he became commander in chief, having never served in, uh, in a military capacity in his life. And yet, obviously, Donald Trump uh, managed to avoid service in Vietnam, claiming uh, a medical ailment that apparently there's no great evidence of uh, before or after. Uh, he's someone who was called members of the military losers and suckers, um, and yet seems to get strong support from the military. That seems to be very contradictory. And again, you would think any other individual within that party would have had a very hard time explaining that position with regard to the military. Uh, it's also the party which has a vast following within the evangelical movement. And yet here we are, it's a Sunday morning in the United States. Uh, where is President Trump? He's on his golf course. Mm -hmm. Where's Joe Biden? Well, Joe Biden went to church. Uh, the idea that Donald Trump would go to church on a Sunday morning is uh, you know, laughable. Uh, and yet he has managed to capture the evangelical vote. Uh, it, it really is a, a sea of contradictions, quite frankly, the way in which Donald Trump has um, captured the Republican Party and with which the ease apparently with which so many Republicans have cast their lot in with him. Mm. Um, now, the extent to which that changes now, he's apparently been defeated and will be leaving office uh, in January of next year will remain to be seen. You could liken it to rats linking a sinking, leaving a sinking ship in many ways. Um, and the, the speed with which people start to distance themselves from Trump. Um, but what does the future await for Donald Trump? Well, as a 
as a non-chief executive officer of the United States, of course. He will be, in theory, uh, open to the laws of the land. Uh, he has been protected uh, by DOJ regulations that suggest that a sitting president cannot, be, uh, cannot face legal charges. Well, that will clearly end. Uh, so the extent to which he might now face legal jeopardy for a variety of issues, some of which may uh, come from uh, some of the findings of the Mueller report, uh, he may well find himself uh, harassed through the courts by a number of uh, women who have uh, made a series of very serious uh, allegations against his uh, activities in the past. He may well find himself facing financial crisis because uh, the Deutsche Bank, as I understand it, are eager to end their relationship with him. Right. Uh, if they start calling in loans, for example, that could very well place his entire company in jeopardy. Uh, the extent to which this has an impact upon his children, obviously, uh, will be fascinating to see. Uh, so, you know, the, the way around this is, is, does Donald Trump suddenly start issuing a series of pardons during his last days in office? Uh, it's, it's been speculated about whether he could even pardon himself. Quite frankly, such a shameless move would be unimaginable by any other president. But you do have to wonder whether the Department of Justice has already been asked to draw up potential pardons uh, for the president and his family and his advisors just to basically give them a, uh, you know, immunity effectively from any, any uh, legal jeopardy that he might face in a post-presidential environment. Mm -hmm. My final question for this evening predicated upon uh, a theme that has run throughout our American Chronicles this year, the notion that Joe Biden and uh, Kamala, uh, Kamala Harris's ticket was fundamentally that they weren't Donald Trump. Uh, now, if the projected uh, victory is secure, uh, what does the Democratic Party stand for now as it moves forward into its first presidency? What, how does it identify as it goes through the, uh, its first four years under President Biden? Well, I think that what you're going to see is that people will take from this administration what they want to see in it. Um, if you want to, you could see um, a white Catholic president uh, who is 77, if I'm not mistaken, um, from, from Delaware, a relatively small uh, state on the eastern seaboard of the United States. Um, or you can focus very much upon uh, Kamala Harris, which is what most of the networks are doing here, uh, and talking about the, the unique element of her ascent to the office not only the first woman to hold the vice presidency, obviously she uh, also has uh, a very interesting uh, heritage, uh, yeah, a, uh, an Indian, uh, Indian uh, mother and an, an African-American father, um, I believe. And as uh, a result, you know, you've got a very, um, uh, a very diverse uh, ethnic mix uh, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the, the background of the, of the vice president. And that is very much what the networks are focusing upon. And it seems to be what a lot of the people who are out celebrating on the streets are focusing upon. Um, also, obviously, many people are very excited about having gotten rid of, of uh, Donald Trump. But the idea that you move from a, a Trump presidency to a point where you have uh, Kamala Harris as, as vice president of the United States uh, seems to be one which people are drawing a great deal of, of joy from. Mm. Um, something to consider, though, is this. Um, the extent to which um, those individuals who voted for the Biden-Harris ticket um, have done so in, in the uh, appreciation uh, that they've just elected the oldest American president in U.S. history. 
um, and with Kamala Harris now a heartbeat away from the presidency. Uh, they have quite a different political outlook by most people's reckoning. Joe Biden, much more of a moderate. Uh, Kamala Harris from California, perhaps, um, I don't think she's any great, you know, danger to the republic, uh, the way she's being portrayed, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Neither do I think she's naturally uh, allied with AOC, but there are certainly people who are, are going to start asking serious questions, I think, about whether Joe Biden will serve a full term in office, uh, whether he'll serve, whether he'll stand for re-election in four years. Um, now, you might say, well, crikey, James, we just finished one election and you're talking about something four years down the line. Uh, but what I can tell you is that this nation is geared up very much for campaigning uh, and less for governing, and that there will be people who are already looking ahead, thinking about Kamala Harris being the, Repub the Democratic Party nominee in four years' time, uh, on, predicated on the basis that Joe Biden's health uh, might prevent him from serving uh, a second-year term in office, when, of course, he would be 80 one uh, when he were to run for office, which was an extraordinary age, quite frankly. So um, I'm certainly not trying to cast any, a, a cold pail of water over this new administration before it's even taken no, office no. or to write off Joe Biden. I think he's certainly got some interesting uh, initiatives ahead of him uh, and wish him well uh, in the presidency. He knows he's been chasing it long enough. Um, but, you know, this is a nation which always looks to the future and, uh, and pundits uh, and politicians will already start thinking about positioning themselves uh, for the midterms and then for the presidency to come in 2024. And um, I think that that, uh, that bodes well for, for Kamala Harris. She's beautifully placed, quite frankly, uh, moving forward uh, as the future face of the, the Democratic Party. Joe Biden has won the presidency, and that's great, but um, to a certain extent, he is a a placeholder presidency. Uh, I don't think he's uh, uh, a transformative presidency in any way, shape or form, um, but that uh, he certainly has brought, will bring with him um, people uh, who will reshape the party and the presidency, uh, partly in their image. Uh, and uh, I think one of the most interesting things to come from the president-elect over the last day or so is echoing words of Bill Clinton from some 30 years ago, talking about trying to bring together an administration that looks like the United States. And uh, I have no doubt that he will do just that.